Thank you for joining me on episode 70 of the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, just a regular gal trying to help people know they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. And today, Morgan Williams from 33 Mustard Seed Ministries joins us to discuss the weight of worry, which is the title of her new book. We explore why we worry, how COVID has amplified that worry, and how we solve the problem. Welcome back to the Unique On a Purpose podcast, where we travel all the way to Nebraska, the land of corn, to meet Morgan Williams. Morgan, thanks for hanging out with me today. Thank you for having me on the show. Excited to be here. Now, Morgan, you're a wife, you're a mom, you're also a recent author, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I want to hear more about you. Who is Morgan Williams, except for the fact that you live in Nebraska? Now, okay, side note, is it boring to live in Nebraska? Because it's all corn. You know, you know, it's so funny. Um, for the longest time, I grew up in a small town. And when people say they grow up in a small town, they proceed to say, you know, there was like 8,000 people. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a legit small town, like 800 people, not a stoplight, yeah. three churches, probably as many, you know, cattle as there were people in the community. Uh-huh. Um, so it was very small but it was very intimate. Mm -hmm. And in that, it was amazing because everybody knew you. So you would show up somewhere and you were greeted by a friendly face. And really, I've just kind of carried that mindset with me that like people in Nebraska are friendly. And I can attest to you that it is true because my husband is from New York. Mm. And when he moved here, he was like, I've heard the rumors (laughs) that like you guys don't have indoor plumbing, but that y'all are friendly. And he was right. We do have indoor plumbing. Good news. We've come a long way. Yeah. But he's like, people are so friendly, you know, holding doors open, smiling, the one finger wave, if you know what I'm talking about, like passing a pickup truck or a tractor on the highway. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Nebraska is my home. It always will be Mm -hmm. thankful that this is where God brought me. Um, got to experience a lot of great things being here. Mm-hmm. And and it is part of the Midwest. And I know like you and I have a mutual friend that had said, I don't think Michigan's a part of the Midwest. Like it, it's just not. But I feel that it is. Well, one, it is labeled the Midwest, but there is such a thing as the Midwest nice. Like there's yes. just something about us in the Midwest. When you go to the West Coast or where you go to the East Coast, you're not going to experience that niceness that you have in the Midwest. Absolutely. hundred percent. hundred percent. So what do you do for a living out in Nebraska? Yeah. So my path has kind of taken me on a weird um, spiral, if you will. Mm-hmm. When I was in school, I thought I was going to go into healthcare and that was the direction I was going to go. When I pursued that path, I got a year into med school and went, this is not the right fit. Mm-hmm. Just kind of that like really hard moment of I am on this direct path of where I thought I was going to be. And all of a sudden I could just feel, you know, this was not the direction I was supposed to be. And so I kind of had to reset and refocus Mm. and just honestly, through opportunities, I've kind of taken a career path where I worked in transportation. Um, Currently I'm in technology. So the interesting part is all of my skill sets are getting used, but it's just very different fields than I ever thought I would be in. So Mm -hmm. I'm full-time in corporate America. In the last year and a half, I started kind of a women's ministry as like a little passion project to do in my free time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just been really cool to see both things kind of overlap. 
Um, the organization that I work at has a like faith-based um, employee resource group. Mm-hmm. And so I've gotten to bring a lot of my women's ministry type stuff into that space and nice. share my book. And it's just been really cool. And the best part about that is, is that um, faith-based group is men and women, mm-hmm. which I love because I think men and women have such a beautiful partnership to play yes. in yes. our faith walks. Mm-hmm. And so it's so cool to see you know, what the men are doing and what the women are doing and how they come together and really play, um, really play to what God has designed. And it's just, it's awesome. So I could talk about that forever. <laughs> yeah, I love that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm on the same page with you. I love being able to minister to both men and women and the fact that we're better together and we're meant to, to come together with our gifts. It is not an either or, and it is not a uh, pin one against the other. But we, we are Absolutely. definitely better together. If you are just tuning in, this is Morgan Williams of Nebraska, and she just wrote a book called The Weight of Worry, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But Morgan, I'm curious, as we talk about worry and as we talk about fear, I feel as though that has been an epidemic the past, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years. I mean, just prior to COVID, I know we can, we can talk a little bit about COVID here momentarily, but I I feel as though COVID amplified that. But even before 2020, anxiety was the hot word. Just speak to that for me from your experience. What's going on? Yeah. You know, it's interesting when I started writing my book and kind of walking backwards in life, um, you know, to get to the root of the problem, you kind of always have to go in reverse. Like, right. here's where I am now. What brought me to this point, right? Um, and I think that can be the case for anything in your life. And so when I was walking out this worry, it was it was kind of that, like, um, bright neon billboard sign that was like, this isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. But for my my majority of my life, I honestly thought my worry was, like, authentic and was purposeful um, you know, like for moms, for example, I think our instinct or our natural um, motherhood part of us is to worry about our kids mm-hmm. and to say, like, are they going to be okay? Um, worrying about the house, maybe the finances, what we're having for supper, like really simple things have these little moments of worry attached to them. What I realized, though, is I think where it's become very amplified is social media. And social media is this beautiful thing that's designed to connect us. But if you look at it now, there are so many things coming at us at once that never were there before. You know, again, going back to living in a small town, I only, for the most part, knew what was going on in that small town. Yeah. You would hear things about the neighboring city. You know, maybe somebody got in a car accident and passed away in another small town or somebody experienced a fire or a tornado hit, but it was things that just came at you as you were ready in a lot of ways, because Mm -hmm. it was through the newspaper. If you chose to pick it up and read it, um, you know, you would hear it maybe with the old farmers drinking coffee in the morning, you know, um, up at the local restaurant. Mm -hmm. But nowadays you pick up your phone and you scroll through things and there is all of this stuff coming at you left and right. And a lot of it, honestly, is very, it's, it's graphic. I mean, yeah. it's so much information. It's so much detail. You put, turn your TV on and you have Netflix documentaries, you have murder mystery podcasts. And it's like, I love all of those things, mm-hmm. 
but they overwhelm the system to the point that your what you're taking in through your eyes and your ears and all of that starts tuning your antenna to all the problems of the world mm-hmm. instead of, you know, what God's doing and his goodness. And I think because of that, it leads to all this anxiety, um, you know, from the negative aspect. Then there's the comparison game where it's like they live in the big house. You know, they drive the fancy cars. They're on vacation. I can't afford to do that. And all of a sudden you start getting all of this, you know, turmoil inside of you that says, I want all those things. I need all those things. Whereas honestly, unless my neighbor down the street told me they went to Mexico, I wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. But everything's coming at you so quickly. So I just feel like that's really added to it because I can look back on, you know, social media came out when I was in college and I can see that's when my anxiety really started to peak. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, COVID that was that was legit. There was a lot going on there, mm-hmm. um, but it just took it to this whole new level that really just opened my eyes to, I'm not trusting God. I don't, I'm not walking with him because I'm trying to control everything out of worry, out of fear. No, I think that's good stuff. I guess I'm always trying to wrap my head around this worry, the fear, the anxiety, and the rise of it, because if you look at our country 100 years ago, 200 years ago, uh, death was common. It was almost an almost everyday thing. It was common that one of your children would pass away. And medical science yeah. has has um, increased so well that that's a very slim chance that we're going to lose one of our children. The fact that, yeah, we just had a plague of COVID-19, but that was so common back a few hundred years ago. But yet now it seems as though we're dealing more with the anxiety, more with fear and worry. And I I don't know, how do you think that social media is making it different than how it was a couple hundred years ago? Does that make sense what I'm trying to ask? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a great question. You know, if I, if I can be honest with it, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it too is people didn't talk about it like they talk about it now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big component of it. I have a brother who um, has autism and he's now 28, Mm -hmm. you know, so 25 years ago when he was diagnosed, it wasn't heard of and it wasn't talked about. Mm -hmm. And so I think in many ways it kind of flew under the radar because again, it wasn't the point of conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas today I think, I think we live in this weird Um, conflicting thing where it's important to talk about it, Mm -hmm. but then some people, it's all they can talk about. It consumes them. Um, And I think that comes back to that balance of a hundred years ago, I think people were more rooted in faith. And Mm -hmm. and I hate to say that, but Mm -hmm. there wasn't all the distractions like there is today. And so people were intentional to Sunday, go to church and spend that time with the Lord. And like the values and the things that you instilled at home were really based, you know, based in, in the Bible and the tradition. Mm-hmm. Whereas today, I mean, I can honestly say I'm guilty of it myself. Sometimes you don't go to church because your kid has a game or, you know, sometimes you choose not to do your, excuse me, you choose not to do your morning, you know, devotional because you're tired because you were up late the night before watching the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> There's just so many things I think that are interfering with that personal relationship time with Jesus today. Mm-hmm that probably didn't exist back then. And in some ways, like you said, it, it became normal. So uh, as much as it 
hurts my heart that they had to go through those things. It was part of life. Yeah. And so it was expected and almost like you planned for it, mm-hmm. you know, like you planned that these things could potentially happen. Whereas today, I think we're all kind of control freaks and thinking mm. we can control the outcome of things. Yes. We can, you know, we can hunker down and make sure nothing happens. Right. Mm-hmm. Look at COVID. If we all just stay home for so many weeks, we can control the spread of the virus. And even and that didn't, didn't control yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. I think we just kind of live this false narrative that we're in control. And some of that goes back to social media. You know, you can manifest your own destiny. You can make all these things happen. And while, yes, you have to partner with God, ultimately, he's the decision maker. Mm-hmm. He decides what the outcome is. Yeah. So that would probably be my viewpoint on it and kind of how I think about it when I look at it. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to... Um pivot a little bit you had said something earlier that as a mom when you worried you felt like that was normal and it was almost as if you were a good mom because you worried do you see that in any other area of of our lives that we almost look at worry and fear is in a sense righteous great question it's it's so um timely in that our church just wrapped a series on money right? Money mm-hmm. is everyone's favorite topic. Mm-hmm. And they talked a lot about how um, when you, you know, you need to have a budget, you need to do things to be wise with money. So there is, I think, naturally a little bit of worry that comes with that in terms of, I need to be worried that if I spend more than I have, I could lose my house, I could lose my cars. Like, I think that is a good boundary that got us put in place where worry can serve a purpose. Mm -hmm. it's when it becomes excessive where every day I'm like looking at the money I'm spending every day. I'm checking my bank account 12 times. You know, it's when you cross that line into fear then because you're trying again, you're not trusting that I have instilled, God has instilled these qualities in me. God has created, um, you know, a mindset in me where I say, I don't have to have everything I want. I'm going to focus on my needs and beyond that, then I'll spend accordingly. Mm-hmm. Like you develop that structure, you develop that guidance and you move forward that way. When you start obsessing over it though, and thinking, how can I strategize to make more? Cause, cause I never have enough. I think that's when it becomes that unhealthy relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with the kids where, yes, I want to worry about my kids. Like I don't want them to just roam the streets without me knowing where they are. So I ask questions again, create boundaries so that I don't have to worry where they know, yes, I can go here for an hour, but I have to come home and check in. Um, I think all of those things are natural. And I even, I mention it in my book, there is what I call Holy Spirit gut checks, where God will give those to you because he wants you to take note, something's not right. And I think those are good. It's just when those consume our life, when that's all we see is when those become a bad thing Mm -hmm. because we're not living in that joy. We're not living in that moment. It almost sounds like it can become an idol in your life if you're not careful. Right. Exactly. Right. And and again, it comes back to what can I do to control the situation, Mm. which means you're not walking in faith. Mm -hmm. You're not trusting God. And I never understood that. I thought... You know, having faith meant believing in Jesus. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand that having faith meant believing that God has your best interest at hand and fully surrendering everything to him. Yeah. 
I'm speaking with Morgan Williams, the author of The Weight of Worry. And Morgan, I want to go back a little bit because the reason why you can speak to this topic is because you've dealt with it. So let's go into your personal journey of weight and fear and why this is now a passion of yours to help other people. Yeah, um, it's interesting how often the parts of our story or our lives that we don't want to share because they're tied up in, in shame or whatever the case may be, are usually the parts of your story that can help those around you. Mm-hmm. And when COVID happened, I had a brand new baby girl. So um, I have a son who's seven now, um, a daughter that's almost three, which is crazy to think it's almost been three years since all of that happened. Right. But I, I can so vividly remember going into the hospital on Friday. Um, it was the first week of March to have her and everything was normal. Mm-hmm. You know, people were just out and about. Um, my parents took my son, like everything about it was normal. And my parents came to meet my daughter after she was born with my sister, who was also pregnant. And the first case of COVID was in Nebraska. And the gal happened to be at the same hospital I was at Mm -hmm. where I had given birth. And it was kind of like hush, hush. Nobody was really talking about it because nobody understood it, to be honest. And I remember a week later, we stepped out to get some diapers. And I, I recount this story in the book. It was chaos. Like people were running around and acting like the world was going to end. And that sent me into a very dark place where by the grace of God, I was able to overcome all of these fears that had just built up over time. And the biggest one, honestly, was this fear of death. Mm -hmm. And it was this idea that I have believed in Jesus all my life, but I honestly was scared to die because Again, I wanted to control the outcome. I wanted to control my destiny. And I didn't understand the bigger picture beyond just this world. Mm -hmm. And so um, I walked through a lot of things and I was able to come back to this place where when I was eight years old, my mom was burned in like a freak accident where a charcoal grill exploded, caused a flash fire. Mm -hmm. She was knocked unconscious we came, my parent, my dad and I and a cousin like came onto the scene to chaos and people running around and an ambulance coming and a fire truck, like just chaos as an eight-year-old and not knowing if my mom was alive or dead. And she spent time in the burn center, you know, so she lived, but I was stuck in this place of she almost died. Right. And I couldn't, I couldn't get past that. And so through counseling, through time with Jesus, a lot of things. I saw how all of that was rooted in this place of worry that I Mm -hmm. suffered from because all of it kept coming back to kind of that same idea. Like what if something happens to them? Mm -hmm. What if something happens to me? Um, And honestly, when I finished the first draft of my book, I had found out I was expecting a third child Mm -hmm. and I finished my draft And and two weeks later, had a miscarriage. Mm. And that was the ultimate what if that Mm -hmm. I couldn't control. I lost a child. They died. I could not control the outcome. And it was a moment where I held my manuscript 
And I felt the Holy Spirit say, do you still believe what you wrote? Mm. Do you still believe I'm good? Mm -hmm. You know, because your fear is realized. Mm -hmm. When it was my mom, she survived. She did okay. And I still struggled with my child. They were gone. Mm -hmm. And it was this whole process I had to walk back through again to really be like, yes, I believe the healing in the places you've taken me to. And it was kind of that final moment of healing to be like, I'm surrendering it all to you. And, and truly within that moment, that weight just came off of me. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just lifted in a way I can't describe other than being God. Mm-hmm. Now, does it still hurt? Absolutely. Do I still have moments where I find myself slipping back into those patterns? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But the beautiful part is, is I have this toolkit now that's rooted in my faith. And so when those moments happen, instead of sliding back, you know, all the way down the mountain, I'm able to like gain my footing and get myself level set again and focused mm-hmm. on, on God and what he said. Mm-hmm. So it really is rooted back at that time of your mom and her accident. Yes. And then it just 100%. kind of, because, I mean, how do you deal with that at such a young age? That's not something where you can just go to church and and all right, I'm going to take the, the spirit of fear off of me in Jesus name. Like it's, it's just, you know, a yes. young child doesn't necessarily comprehend that. So that's something you had to carry with you all throughout exactly. the rest of your childhood and adulthood. Right. Exactly. Because the part we miss is, you know, as kids, our brains are developing and we're taking so much in and we're mm-hmm. just like, we're learning and we're, we're a sponge. Yeah. But because our brain is still developing, we're not able to fully process and rationalize and, you know, walk through all the things you need to walk through when something so traumatic happens. And so it's honestly comes down to how did my brain receive that, that day? You know, I think, um, and I'm not blaming anyone in the situation, but having people running around frantic and, and panicking, you know, that's what I received. Yeah. Whereas if people would have been very like authoritative and everything's fine, we've got it under control, maybe it would have been different. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I don't know. It's just it's how I perceived it that day. How did that seed affect your future career, your future marriage? And I mean, you did share a little bit about your kids and the miscarriage, but tell me about your career and your in your marriage. Yeah, the. um The piece that's so interesting is I think when you live in this place of worry and in this place of fear, you're constantly looking at the outside Mm -hmm. instead of looking inward. And so with my marriage, I tended to see what what did everyone else's marriage around me look like. Um, And statistically speaking, the average marriage lasts eight years. And it's something like, it's really high now. It's like 70% of people get divorced at least one time. Wow. And so I came into my marriage kind of on the defensive, if you will, Mm -hmm. thinking the whole time in the back of my mind, is this going to work out? It was that, that seed of worry that soon turned into fear. And so every little thing that happened in my marriage, and I know you've been married for many years and you have kids, like marriage is work. It mm-hmm. is not easy. It's not what we see on the Hallmark Channel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes effort. Mm-hmm. And so anytime something went wrong or we had, you know, a disagreement, my mind instantly reverted to this place of we're going to get divorced. And I would even, you know, go as far as to say that out loud. 
because I was trying to be, you know, in a defensive place to protect myself. But instead I was saying things that it's like, why would you say that? You don't really mean that, but you're worried and you're operating from this place of fear. And when you do that, you say and do things you wouldn't do if you were rooted in this place of trust. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I saw that a lot in my marriage and, and honestly, in my career, my plan failed. (laughs) And so I spent a lot of time second guessing everything. And Mm -hmm. I would say when I look back on, you know, that, that what if mentality, it's a lot of doubt. If you're doubting your ability, if you're doubting the place you're supposed to be in, you start to second guess everything. And when you second guess everything, you're worrying. And eventually it it caused me to not make a shift. I was in a a career that I knew wasn't the right fit anymore, but I was so scared of what if, you know, I leave and it's worse somewhere else, or what if I stay and it gets better? Or what if I, you know, um, do something else and it just isn't what I I thought it was going to be. And ultimately I lost that job. Like I Mm. I got laid off because Mm -hmm. I think in my heart, I truly feel like God was like, I need you to make a move. And if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it for you. <laughs> right, right. You know, because yeah. he is, he's so like, he's so gracious like that. And it, don't get me wrong, it was very hard. It was mm-hmm. a very humbling season, but it brought me to a place of beauty. Mm-hmm. And what's really neat is that though your plan failed, a lot of what you learned in school and the experiences that you went through are helping you in your career now, like nothing is ever wasted. Nothing we learn is, is ever wasted. And I think that Absolutely. we, as we get older, we learn that when we're younger, especially, you know, you and I were millennials. And, and I think there's just this idea that we have to have everything all figured out in our early twenties. And that if we don't have everything figured out and we did fail, then our life is now a complete waste, but God doesn't do that. He takes what we've learned and he encompasses it in our future. And that's exactly what Uh, he's done with you. So now let's talk about why you wrote this book. You had your mother's car accident. Wait, no, no, I'm sorry, not a car accident, the charcoal accident when you were really young. And that kind of planted the seed of fear. And it really spread all throughout your teenage years into your career, into your marriage. And then now all of a sudden in 2022, you're like, I'm going to write a book. Like what, (laughs) what made you decide to write a book on this fear and worry? Yeah, it's it's exactly what you said before about God wastes nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because the part of me that drew me to healthcare, the part of me that made me want to be a doctor, was because I was a um, a CNA, a physician's assistant, or I'm sorry, a certified nursing assistant for years, mm-hmm. and a lot of that blossomed from my mom's accident because when my mom came home. I had two little siblings. My brother was two. My sister was three. And like, she needed a lot of help, you know, physically with her care because she had to have skin grafts. There was a lot of doctor's appointments, a lot of follow-up. And my dad was the sole person working, you know, to provide for the family. And so I spent all this time with my mom caring for her. And I loved the way that made me feel inside. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what brought me on that path of healthcare because I wanted to care and love for people in their most vulnerable moments. And I saw that as a CNA, you know, people would come into the hospital for knee surgery or something and 
their recovery was a struggle and just being able to be there with them in those moments. The cool part is, while I thought the plan was to be in healthcare, God has used my heart for that and my compassion for people through this book. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately what brought me to write it is I was in this season of God, I need more of you. I had um, a radical encounter with God on a mission trip to Costa Rica a few months before um, I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. And it was also in the season where I had lost my job. Mm -hmm. So I had this few months to find a new career. Had I not had that time off, I never would have went on the mission trip because we always come up with all these reasons to say, no, I don't have the time. I don't have the finances. I don't have any of it. Financially, it didn't make sense, but it, inside I knew it was what I was supposed to do. So I went on this trip. I had this radical encounter with God where I experienced him through the prophetic voice. And I wanted everyone to experience that. Mm -hmm. I wanted everyone to know God is real and he loves you in your brokenness, in your beauty. And when I came home, I was sharing my story. I was telling people and I had those little seeds planted of you, you should write this down. You should start a blog. Mm. So I did that. And then I went um, somewhere else a few months later and someone gave me an image. They said, God is giving me this image of a golden pen that he's handed down from heaven and he's giving to you. Mm -hmm. And I just felt in my spirit that was him saying, write the book. And so I prayed about it. An opportunity presented itself. And, and that's how I met you really, right? As we went through this course together yep. um, and just put our stories on paper. And if I'm being honest, when all of the things happened with my miscarriage, I wanted to quit. Mm -hmm. I did. I just, I, I didn't know if I could finish the book, mm -hmm. but God came back around through people and just continued to reinforce this idea that people need to hear your story because your story is, is their story in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And it allows people to walk in freedom, which has changed my life and who I am as a mom, a wife, a coworker, a friend, um, just not having that weight of worry on me anymore has allowed me to step into who God called me to be. And it's so beautiful that I just want it for other people so bad. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, when, okay, let's go back a little bit. You talk a little bit about this in your book, but how can we recognize a seed of fear or worry that is wanting to take root in our lives? I feel as though we get older, we can recognize things more, but maybe we're not recognizing certain areas of our life that fear is trying to take root. So how do we recognize that? Yeah, I think one of the things is, is that internal reflection piece. When you find yourself obsessing over something constantly, it keeps you awake at night. Mm. It's on replay in your mm -hmm. mind all the time. Like you're working and in the back of your mind, you're thinking about this thing. To me, that's the first indicator that something, it's something starting to take root that we don't want there especially when that thing is not giving us joy. Mm. You know, it's one thing to be thinking about something and it makes us smile. That's awesome. But if it's something where every time it comes up, it kind of makes us take that deep sigh, mm -hmm. that's, that's not, it's not a good sign. The second thing I would say is 
it's important to surround yourself with a community that embodies, you know, the values um, and the, the teachings that are really, you know, foundational from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And when they start saying things to you, like, I use my mom as an example. As I got older, I remember my mom so kindly saying things like, you know, that's not really trusting God when you're worried about that. And, mm-hmm. and you know, when you start hearing those same themes coming up from people that you trust to speak into your life, to me, that's that second sign of, I really need to take notice something's not right here because the enemy is a sly guy. And so he will do things where we don't even realize it. But when people speak into our lives about it, it's, again, another opportunity to stop and take note and go, is this right? Is this healthy? Is this what mm-hmm. I should be worried about? Mm-hmm. And really, it I'm just going to be blunt. It's sin. It's sin it when you continue to obsess over that. You place it up as an idol when you're really not trusting God to the fullest. So if we're recognizing that, then how... Are, do we then let go to trust God? I, I, I heard this saying a while back. If you're living in the past, it will bring you to depression. If you're living in the future, you'll then live in anxiety. And so you talked earlier about the what ifs and, and what, what it meant to um, constant be, constantly be living in that. But if we recognize where fear is starting to take root, how can we then let go and trust God with all of those what ifs and that anxiety that's trying to take place in our lives? Yeah, great question. So in the book, I talk about two different components. One, I call them earthly approaches. So it's things that God has provided that are very concrete here on earth that we can use. And it's simple things like turning off the news, um, you know, creating a budget with your finances, saying prayers, different things like that. And then the second part of it is really this idea of kingdom approaches. So how do we partner with God on these specific areas of our life? And a lot of it comes back to more of that surrender piece. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to try to control it, God, I'm going to give it back to you every day. Um, And that's through, you know, things like worship and praise, because when, when we can praise in some of the darkest storms that we're in, it just pushes back that fear because perfect love casts out all fear, you know, and when you bring heaven down to you through your praise, you're bringing yourself that much closer to God. And we know God loves us. And because God loves us, when we're hand in hand with him, you know, the things can't come at us like they normally do. At the end of the book, um, when I was praying for something that would be concrete, that I could root on myself to remind me when these things start surfacing. God gave me this acronym of speak out. And the speak part is really that idea of like seeking him, pausing to enjoy his presence, you know, um, just enjoying what God has for us in life, asking for the things that we need, and then knowing that we're heard. Because I think we live in this instant gratification place where we think if we just sit down and pray the prayer, it's going to go away. Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case, but it's this idea that knowing the battle has already been won on our behalf and and God is, is rooting for you and fighting for you. But the second component of it really is this idea that we need community. We need that outside reach of people that are physically here on earth to walk alongside us because we were not meant to do this alone. 
God made Eve for Adam because he knew Adam was not meant to be alone. In the same way, when we are in our fear and in our worry and we're isolated, which is why COVID was so detrimental, we feel alone and we become this target because nobody is standing there on our behalf. So when we speak out, the out part is this outside community, people that, you know, are friends, family, counselors, pastors, whatever it may be, somebody that can can hold your hand and hold the hand of Jesus and close the gap between you and heaven when you're struggling. Um, It's just so beautiful. And the second part of that is being unashamed. You know, this world is full of sin. We all walk through struggles. They may not look the exact same, but we all face struggles at some point in life. And so when we can be unashamed about that, there's power in our willingness to say, I'm not okay but I'm going to be okay because of God and because of the people in my life. And so that last piece wraps up with the Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. When, when we're thankful for all we have, even in the struggles, again, we push back the darkness. We push back the fear because someone rooted in faith like that may be shaken a little bit, but they won't be completely, you know, taken out by their circumstances. I really love how you brought balance to that. You said there's earthly ways that we can help with fear and the what ifs, but also there's kingdom ways. And I think sometimes in Christian communities, depending maybe on your location or denomination you go through, you can have one extreme or the other instead of bringing balance where there are those that say, no, I'm not going to do the earthly things because then I'm not trusting in God enough. Or there are those that will do all the earthly things right, but they won't invite God. They won't invite the kingdom portion into it where God is wanting, God is wanting to partner with us, but we have to do some of the work ourselves too. So I I like that because you're almost, you're putting responsibility on ourselves that, yeah, yeah, okay, we're dealing with fear, we're dealing with worry, but it's our responsibility to then start dealing with that fear. And here are the ways that you can do that. So at Unique on Purpose, you know, we're, we're all about talking about taking what maybe as a disadvantage in our lives and using it towards God's advantage. And really that's what you have done with this book, The Weight of Worry, Closing the Door on Fear by Opening the Door to Faith. You're taking something that was a disadvantage in your life and now you're bringing it towards God's advantage and and helping other people. So how can others maybe use their past worry in the future for their advantage? Does that make sense what I'm trying to ask? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the part that I've realized in this whole process is the first place to start is in your four walls. And when I say your four walls, it's your home. Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, sharing with your husband, sharing with your kids? I've seen through my journey, when my kids are going through something where they're scared, um, I have a seven-year-old right now, and we're kind of in that phase of life where He's, he's starting to pick up on, you know, bad things can happen there. A friend of his had a fire at their house, you know, so mm-hmm. that was kind of front of mind for him. And so being able to like sit with my son and say, buddy, I acknowledge that that's scary. And I acknowledge, you know, that that scared you and how it makes you feel. But here's what I want you to know. And again, it's that twofold piece you were talking about. One is, I know God's looking out for you. And so I know no matter what happens, God's always going to be there. And then the earthly thing is, hey, we have a plan in our home. If there's ever a fire, here's what we do. 
you know, so being able to just kind of witness within your four walls first is such a beautiful thing because Mm -hmm. I have seen my son turn around and do that for kids, you know, his age. And so in some ways, my hope is he doesn't have to go 30 some years like I did Mm -hmm. carrying all of that. The second part is, I think just being willing to listen and create a safe space for people to share their stories allows you in turn to share the victories in your story, Mm -hmm. um, which is really what I've tried to do with my book. And so when I have friends reference, I'm going through this thing, it's really hard. My response is not, oh, I've mastered it. It's, you know, I walked through that too. God was with me. Here's what he did for me. Um, I know he can do it for you. Hey, I still struggle with it sometimes, but I'm so much better. You know, I've seen victory and just really being able to just have those conversations that make people feel seen and heard and and create hope for them that there is a hope that they can overcome this. No, that's really good. Uh, Morgan Williams, she is the author of The Weight of Worry, and you can find her at 33 Mustard Seed. Now, don't look on Instagram or Facebook for Morgan Williams because you will find a million of them. So make sure you type in 33 Mustard Seed, The Weight of Worry, Closing the Door on Fear by Opening the Door to Faith, which I will have a link in the show notes as well as a link to your Instagram and your Facebook. Is there anything that you uh, want to share with us before we close, Morgan? I just appreciate having the opportunity to uh, be here today and to share my heart. The biggest thing that I would say to those out there that are struggling is please hear my heart that you are not alone. You are not the exception. You are not the one that isn't going to be able to overcome this. So just knowing you're not alone. The second part is there is a reason that this is happening in your life. And it's likely because it's trying to keep you from your purpose keep you from your calling and so I would just encourage you you know whatever the thing is that's coming hard at you to know that's a lie and that the truth is on the other side of that and that people who love you people who know you can speak to that truth and receive it because I think that's the piece I struggled with I struggled to believe I could write a book I struggled to believe there would be value on it Mm -hmm. but I've seen the value and I know he can do it for you awesome Well, thank you very much, Morgan, for being here today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Unique On Purpose Podcast. Thank you, Morgan, for being raw and real with us in our discussion. Make sure you check out Morgan's book, The Weight of Worry, as well as her website that I have posted in the show notes. Unique On Purpose is available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I will see you back here next week.